Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here this morning. If you're a guest with us, uh, you picked a good Sunday to come. We're just starting a new series called At the Movies. Every time as a kid, I would hear this theme song. I would get excited because I knew that something special was about to take place. A trip to the theater when I was a kid was both rare and exciting. And through the years, I've seen some classic movies at the theater. But there was one moment that stands out in my mind above all the rest. I was about eight years old, we were on vacation. And uh, we went to see the, uh, the long movie, it was called How the West Was Won, but we saw it on a cinemascope. Now, I'd never seen a cinemascope. For those of you who don't know what a cinemascope uh, was, it was a, a, a panoramic kind of screen. It, it curved around and you could see it to the side and in front of you and you felt like you were just enveloped. It was at that day and time what the IMAX is for, for us uh, today. And I was absolutely mesmerized. It was a long movie, had an intermission in it and I couldn't wait to get back to the, to the film. I was engulfed in the story and for weeks afterwards, I relived those moments in my mind and I can still hear that song that played through the movie. Even now, when I hear that, I'm transported back to when I was eight years old and was just absolutely mesmerized by how the West was won on that cinemascope. Grandest movie moment in my life ever. Don't know what yours is, but that was mine. Going to the theater is still an adventure for me. I, I tend to lose myself in the story. I forget my problems and frustrations for just a few moments. And I am transported either to another time or to another place, to another world by the events that are portrayed in the film. By the way, can I tell you this this morning? That the theater of the mind is a better theater than the silver screen. Where your mind can take you is, is absolutely incredible. And many great novels have been diminished by being put on the silver screen. So read a good book. Create that film in your mind because what you'll see in the theater of your mind is even better than what you'll see on the silver screen. Now you need to know this morning as we go into this series that I don't like movies that just leave me hanging. I do not go to the theater to be philosophical or political or to feel unresolved as the credits roll. I want a happy ending. I want to leave feeling good about the conclusion. Oh, I like the adventure. I get caught up in the intrigue. I can handle sadness along the way, but I want it to end right. That's what makes a good movie in my mind. And there are two recurring themes that often capture good books and good movies. These two phrases is, are, are these. Once upon a time, and the second one is happily ever after. Once upon a time, everything was good. Then trouble comes. And it seems like the force of evil will overcome good once and for all. But the hero arrives just in the nick of time to save the day, and they all lived happily ever after. In the end, the bad guys get what's coming to them, and the good guys get to celebrate. We love that kind of a theme, because that's the theme of the greatest story ever. You see, that's the God story. 
And God's story is truly colossal, monumental, it's epic in nature, and he placed it, he placed that theme in the heart and the mind of every human being from the beginning of time. We are hardwired by God to love that kind of a story. Twice in the Bible, we, we read these words, in the beginning. The first time we read it comes in Genesis when we are talking about creation. But the second time we read it, in John chapter 1, John opens his gospel with these words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John takes us back farther beyond the start of creation. God, in this sense, through John, is beginning his story with once upon an eternity. Long before there was any of this or that or any of us, God was there. And, God, and John pulls back the theater curtain of eternity so that we might catch a glimpse of the awesome nature of God. This is the image. Before time, there was this sense of the divine majesty. God was in perfect relationship to all that was. You see, at the very beginning of his story was one of incredible beauty. At creation, that other in the beginning, everything was very good. God says it's very good. It was beauty and perfection. And then the evil one slithered into the garden and changed everything. No, he didn't force that forbidden fruit down Adam's and Eve's throats. He merely offered juicy doubt to their hungry minds about God's goodness and honesty. And they bit. But God was a step ahead of that slithering reptile. His plan, his plan would bring redemption and salvation to the weak, lost humanity. But it would come at a cost. The serpent would wound God's son. But the son would crush the serpent's head. And the redeemed, the redeemed will live happily ever after. Don't you see it? That's his story. And it always captures our hearts. It always captures our minds and our imagination. We are wired that way by our Father. And perhaps no movie in the last 42 and a half years has demonstrated the contrast between good and evil better than the Star Wars series. Elsie and I were newly married in June of 1977, and we saw the, uh, the Star Wars movie for the, for the first time in the theater. And I was, I was caught. I've been a Star Wars fan ever since. And except for the one that was released last month, which I have not seen. I've seen all the rest of them in the theater. I even had a cassette tape of the original music from the original Star Wars that I wore out playing over and over again. Now, for those of you who are too young, go find somebody old in the congregation and ask them what a cassette was after the service is over, all right? Here's something that's really interesting to me about the whole Star Wars series. And, and nobody in 1977 would have, would have even dreamed that in 2020, there would be another movie in the series that would be captivating audiences uh, around the country. My five-year-old grandson, Levi, loves Star Wars. Here I am. I love Star Wars. Here he is. He loves Star Wars. Levi can tell you 
every storyline. He can tell you all about the characters. He can tell you all about the planets. He can tell you all about the machinery. He can tell you all about the vehicles. He is captivated by the Star Wars story. He and his brother Landon got Lego Star Wars vehicles, I guess. X-Wings, different things, Snow Riders uh, for Christmas. And they've already got them put together because they love it. And, And here's why I think they love it as much as I loved it when it started out. It's because it's this story of the cosmic battle of good versus evil, which God has written from the beginning of time. Now, if you're not big on the Star Wars series, I get it. I get it. You may, you may like this description of Star Wars seen on a t-shirt. An orphan joins a wise hermit, two droids, and an egotistical smuggler to save a sassy princess and the galaxy. That may be your sum total of the movie. I think there's a lot more depth to it than that. Luke, the reluctant and unlikely hero, he's not a perfect guy by any stretch of the imagination. He's got his own issues. But he wants to see the good. He wants good to prevail and finally takes up the challenge. The force is strong in him. And through the power of good, he changes the galaxy. This make-believe movie that opens with the words a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away illustrates the true battle. The true battle that continues to rage between good and evil. I want you to take home a couple truths about the battle that rages. I want you to sense this morning what's going on in our world, in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in the cosmos. Because The movie is just a movie, but the real story involves every one of us. We're all a part of the cast. Here's the first truth I want you to take home with you. There is a battle that rages in the cosmos. There is a battle that rages in the cosmos. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The first battle between good and evil was not in the Garden of Eden with fruit and sin. The first battle goes back farther than that to a place A long time ago in a place far, far away. We're given just a glimpse, just a glimpse of it in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12 says this. And there was war in heaven. Really? I I didn't think that was a place where anything like that could happen. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Wow. Three verses is all we get on this cosmic battle. But what a battle it was. Just a little bit earlier than this, it says that the dragon swept away a third of the stars of the sky with his tail. Now, Revelation is written apocalyptically. It is figurative language. You have to figure out what are they talking about here. And since it says he was cast out of heaven and his angels with him, many believe that a third of the angels of heaven were beguiled. They were caught up in in Satan's hype that, yeah, he really had the power to overthrow God. He couldn't. 
But a third of the angels followed him and were cast out. I believe, I believe they comprise what we call the demons in the New Testament. The demons that threatened and possessed and, and tempted. I believe that is all a part of that incredible moment in time. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, wrote this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors about devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to develop an unhealthy interest in them. I think most people err on the side of the first. They just simply don't believe, which plays right into Satan's hand. You see, Satan started out as an angel of light, was condemned to darkness, and became God's adversary. The word, the name Satan means adversary. And that's what we are up against, is an adversary of the darkness. Now, folks, if he could convince a third of the angels in heaven who were already in the presence of God to join in his rebellion, then don't you think he can get to us? He attacks us subtly just as he did with Eve. He plants doubts in our hearts, just as he did with Adam. He fosters hatred and revenge in our minds, just as he did with Cain. He triggers angry responses in us, just as he did with Moses. He stokes the fires of lust in our wills, just as he did with David. He urges deception in our actions, just as he did with Ananias and Sapphira. He paves our way to greed, just as he did with Demas, who loved this world more than Christ. He nurtures subversion in our lives, just as he did with Jesus. Judas Iscariot, why he even tried to get Jesus Christ to bow down and worship him. Thankfully, Jesus resisted him. Will we? That's the real question. Will we resist? And even though he's powerful and stronger than we are, he is no match for God. He knows his ultimate end and has already been determined. The outcome of the war is not in question. He's going to lose. He's already lost. But he's merely trying to win as many skirmishes as he can along the way to break the heart of God. And for every soul that he can tempt and take with him, like the angels that fell, God's heart is broken over and over again. That evil abounds in our world, there can be no doubt. In my mind, evil is becoming bolder, becoming more frequent. Turn on the news, pick up the paper, read any of the periodicals that are reviewing things that are happening around the world. Even this morning, the news is not good. About events around the world, uh, the U.S. is under attack in different places because of the, the evil and the hatred, the bitterness that is going on in this world around us. And while it may not be true here in the U.S., recent research confirms that Christianity itself is in peril like no other religion. There is no equal to this. Rupert Short states, Christians are targeted more than any other body of believers. He goes on to note that 200 million Christians, 10% of the global total, are socially disadvantaged, harassed, or actively oppressed for their beliefs. No other religion in the world is being despised and persecuted as much as the church. We should not be surprised. Jesus warned us it would be this way. And it should come as no surprise if we understand the scripture because in God's word, the word evil, wicked, and wickedness appears over 900 times. 
hundred times. Satan and his demonic minions are mentioned over 160 times. Evil is alive and well. Oh, but folks, here's the good news. He may be stronger than we are, but he's no match for God. Satan may have taken a third of the angels with him, but that left God with two-thirds. God outnumbers him two to one. But God doesn't need angel armies. God alone is more powerful than Satan in all of his minions. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, the evil ones, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And when we belong to the Lord, when we are on his side, the God of angel armies is always on our side. That's the cosmic battle. But there's a battle that's uh, even more pressing. It's even more personal. And that's the battle that rages in the human heart. There is a battle that rages in the human heart. What we understand intellectually often doesn't translate to our heart. We may know it here, but we don't feel it here. What I know that God has already determined, I, I, I don't always grasp. I, I mean, I know the victory is assured. I know that God has already determined the outcome at the very end. And if that's true, and I, and, I, and I really believe it is, then why do I struggle with fear, worry, and anxiety? What, what's wrong with me? If I know how things are going to turn out, why do I still have fears, worries, and anxiety? Throughout the Star Wars series, fear is a cord that weaves its way through every episode. It happens in our lives as well. Fear and worry, stress and anxiety weaves its cord through our lives every day. Folks, listen to this. Research has determined that a fearful and worried mind means a chronically stressed brain. And chronic stress dumps stress hormones into your system that shrink brain mass, lower IQ, make you prone to heart disease, cancer, and premature aging, predict marital problems, family dysfunction, and depression, and make seniors more likely to develop dementia and Alzheimer's. Fear, worry, and stress is doing that to us physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. It's bad stuff. The scriptures teach me this. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. So why then do I battle every day to find that confidence, that peace? Are you like me? Do you deal with stress and worry and fear and anxiety? Do you deal with that to the point that it robs you of your peace and the joy that God intended for you to have? Did you start this year with worries and fears about all the things that might happen or that you've got to accomplish? I, where are you in this? Because I know how I have to deal with it. I'm assuming you do too. And is there wisdom to help us with this battle that rages in our hearts and minds? Well, there is. And it's sprinkled throughout God's word. All you have to do is spend time in God's word and you'll find some wise counsel. But I'm going to give you one passage this morning for here at the beginning of this year that I want you to take home. I'm only reading a part of the passage. You take it home, read the whole thing. Psalm 33. Because I think it gives us a, a perfect way to start out the new year and how to handle stress, 
worry, and anxiety. Okay? Now, it's not a magic formula, but it's a good plan. Psalm 33 opens with these words. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves the righteous and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. In these first five verses, the focus is on God. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Make music to the Lord with instruments. Trust the Lord because he is faithful. Trust his word because it is true. Five statements about God. In other words, when you're dealing with frustration, stress, anxiety, worries, and fear, take the focus off of you and put it on God. What do you do when you have a headache or you got a queasy stomach? You just tough it out? Not me. I head to the medicine cabinet. I'm going to get something that's going to help here or help here. How about you? So when you got worries, fears, anxieties, what do you do? Just tough it out? You shouldn't. You need to turn to the medicine that God gives us. Here's a thought. Refocus your attention. Get hungry for the things of God. Hunger after his word. Study and memorize the scripture. It will help. Trust me, it will help. Hunger after God's family. Stay close to other Christians. Stay close to the church. Because when you're stressed and when you're worried and when you're anxious, other Christians who believe what we believe can help come around you and alleviate some of that fear and worry and anxiety. Hunger for the presence of Christ. It's a lonely journey through this broken world without him. So take time to pray. The enemy has a battle plan, folks, and the only way to be victorious over the enemy is through the Lord. And you say, well, why should I trust him? You say all those words, but why should I trust him? <laughs> well, the psalmist answers that question next in verses 6 through 9. He says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Respect the Lord, that kind of fear. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Why should you put your trust in the Lord? Because with a word, with a word, he made it all. Are you familiar with the term ex nihilo? It means out of nothing. God created everything out of nothing. If God can speak the universe, the starry host, the moon, the earth into being, then are your problems too big for him? If with a word of command, it all came into being, Will he be stymied by your fears and your concerns? Of course not. I have a couple of grandchildren who are still young enough to think that I can fix anything. But I know my days are numbered. I know the day is coming when they will discover the real truth that I can't. But I love their trust. I, I, want, I want us to trust the Heavenly Father who has no shortcomings, who has no numbered days, 
who can fix anything broken in our lives with the very same confidence that my grandkids demonstrate. I am utterly amazed at God's power to create. Just take a look at the eye. Do do you know, do you know that the human eye can detect 10 million shades of color? 10 million. That'd be quite a box of crayons, wouldn't it? 10 million different shades of color. And if on a dark night, there were no obstacles in the distance, that the human eye is capable of seeing a single candle flame 30 miles away? Is, Is our God incredible or what? John Stevens, a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering, says that given the fact that there are over 10 million nerve cells in the retina of our eye interacting with each other, uh, it would take a minimum, ready for this? It would take a minimum of 100 years of high-speed computer processing time to simulate what takes place in your eye multiple times every second. With our most high-powered computers, we can't even begin to touch the power of the eye. And here's the thing. All of God's creatures have eyes that are designed for their specific environment. From microscopic eyes that we can only see through the lens of a microscope to the giant squid's eye, which is larger than a, a dinner plate. All because every creature needs his eyes for different things. And the creator gave to each the eyes that it needed. Solomon writes in Proverbs 20, 12, Ears that hear and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now can you see why God is so worthy of our trust? Can't you hear Jesus saying, it is I, don't be afraid. Or why do you worry? Consider the birds of the air, your father feeds them. You see, you and I don't need to worry or fear Because the psalmist goes on in verse 10, the Lord foils the plans of the nation. He thwarts the purposes of the people, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. When you stick with the Lord, he'll get you through. His plans and purposes are eternal. Our problems, our worries, our fears are temporal. When the battle rages in your heart, will you trust God or will you cling to your worries and fears? Remember in that battle, the way Psalm 33 ends, it ends with a prayer. Learn to pray this prayer. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we place our hope in you. That psalm may be over 3,000 years old, folks, but it's a great way to start a new decade. Follow Psalm 33. Go home and read the whole thing today. God is at work. Focus on him. Trust in his power. Place your hope in his grand ability. This, this coming Christmas, I know that's a long way off, just coming out of the Christmas holiday, but this, this year, 2020, marks the 55th anniversary of the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I know people that watch that every year that it comes on. First aired in 1965. And in it, the Peanuts characters are trying unsuccessfully to get Linus to let go of his blue security blanket. 
Never does. He won't let go of that blanket for anything. But there's a poignant scene near the end of that, that little animated movie where Charlie Brown kind of throws up his hands and says, I don't even understand the meaning of Christmas. What's Christmas all about anyway? And Linus, in all of his wisdom, quotes from Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. And when Linus gets to the line where he quotes the angel, fear not, both hands go up, the blanket drops to the floor. I, I, I don't think that was an accident in the film. I think that was on purpose. You see, the newborn king has come into the world. Suddenly, I don't have to be afraid anymore. What are you clinging to to deal with your fears? The birth of Christ signaled that he now is our security against all of our fears, against all of our worries, against all of our anxieties. And when the penis gang begins to sing, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, Linus once and for all gets rid of his blanket by taking it over to the special Christmas tree that they've decorated and places it at the bottom of the tree and makes a tree skirt out of it. Don't miss this truth. In similar fashion, we need to leave our fears, our problems, our worries at the foot of another tree the cross of Christ. This morning we saw two clips of the Star Wars movies, both of which highlight the contrast between good versus evil, light versus darkness. In the end, folks, Darth Vader, the epitome of evil, rejects the wicked emperor, rejects the dark side, and returns to the good. The bad guys get what's coming to them and the good guys celebrate. I love the way that story ends. But then again, it's just a story. Or is it? Actually. Actually, folks, eternity hangs in the balance of your choice. God has won the battle of the cosmos. Will he win the battle for your heart? Good and evil, light and darkness, love and hate. Who will you choose? Let me close with these words, this blessing from Galatians 1 verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we will live happily ever after. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.